time to get in the crease for Pucking Thoughts Radio. Here are your hosts, Adam Bernard and John Casilli. All right, thank you, Peter. Welcome into the 112th edition of Pucking Thoughts Radio. I'm your host, Adam Bernard, and with me, as always, is JC. We are uh, about one month out from the last time we recorded. How are we doing one month into the season? Great. It's the games on. I mean, when there's not COVID issues, there's like tons of games on, and they're all pretty competitive. And you've seen uh, some rivalries kind of start in some areas where you know teams hadn't played each other uh, as consistently, but now they're now that they're playing each other in the series, is it's uh, sparked some some rivalries. It's really good. Have you been uh, enjoying the season so far? I mean, what I've been able to see, of course, I mean, I love watching the Canadian games up there, you know, that whole division, because, I mean, they're all kind of like, they're all rivals to a certain degree, just varying degrees, but now it's just kind of really getting a chance for it to boil over. We'll talk about the uh, Canadians a little bit later in the season they're having. But, yeah, uh, you mentioned COVID, and let's start there. So we're about a month into the season. Um, So far, 26 games have needed to be rescheduled for various COVID protocols for different teams. Um, You know, came down uh, recently that the abs are shutting down through uh, February 11th through the COVID protocols. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog and Tyson Yost have been added to the COVID list. Um, Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger tested positive a couple days ago, joined Taylor Hall and Rasmus Ristolainen on the COVID list. Um, also, Buffalo, and a related uh, part of that, Buffalo management not happy that they allowed the game to go on with the Devils because the Devils had a lot of guys on the COVID list and they still let the game happen. And then, of course, now Buffalo was feeling ill effects of that. Five Minnesota Wild players, um, you know, the four Capitals players a few weeks ago, um, you know, when they were hanging out in their hotel room violating pro- protocols, it was Ovechkin, Orlov, Kuznetsov, and Samsonov. Um, the NHL's trying to do what they can. Um, some new protocols that have been put in place, um, including they're going to get rid of the glass behind the bench to improve the airflow. They're also going to have some, like, air purifiers behind there to try and improve the air quality. Um, also, they're telling players and coaches don't get to the arena about, uh, before an hour, 45 minutes prior to game time. And also, because a lot of these new arenas nowadays have, you know, four, five, six locker rooms, they're going to try and spread the guys out a little bit more uh, in order to, uh, you know, help with that social distancing in the locker room. And uh, also, uh, came down a little while ago that um, they're also going to exp- uh, explore the possibility of expanding their how much rapid testing they're doing versus is what they're doing now so all that said how much of an impact has COVID had on your hockey experience this year um a lot i mean in in just the nature of games all of a sudden getting canceled uh for me as a fan of multiple teams and the league in general i feel like there's always enough games on to watch even on the nights where there's like two games or three games, you know, I'm not as excited about it as I would normally be. If we're like during a regular season and there's like a two games on, but they're really good games. Uh, I think fantasy wise, I think a lot of people have been adversely affected, obviously, like as you draft some of these top end talent guys. And then, you know, instead of them playing four games a week, they get maybe one. And then the following week, you're not even sure if they're going to come back and play uh and then furthermore like later on down the road we haven't really seen the full effects of it because games are going to be getting rescheduled into an already like packed schedule where teams are playing three to four games a week like you're going to be you know doubling that down a bunch so i'm curious to see how it affects the players fitness levels later on it might not uh, again because they're not playing an 82 game season um you know they might be fine in the end but for me you know we're still in the year 2020 
Are we? <laughs> Even though it's uh, 2021, so like not much really affects me when I read about COVID news. I mean, listen, you mentioned the fantasy impact, and this is not the year to have drafted heavily from one team, particular NHL team, because then if that team ends up going on a COVID list, has a player on a COVID list and with postponed games, it could drastically affect you. Um, but, you know, obviously fantasy impact is not a huge impact. It's, you know, a recreational thing that, you know, we all enjoy. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's games on every night. Maybe, you know, there are some nights where, hey, there were supposed to be 10 games on. Now there's only six games on or something like that but other than that it really hasn't affected me all that much and this is just how it's going to be and the thing i think is the nhl is trying to you know they're about a month into the season so you, you, this is when the problems were going to start coming up based on how things go with you know the covid timeline and stuff like that we saw the same thing happen with the nfl about a month into the season is when you started seeing like the titans had a couple of games that had to be rescheduled the steelers the bills um just because the domino effect of you know one team so then things have to be rescheduled to bye weeks or okay we're going to flip this game from week 12 to week eight um and then that kind and you know there was a period of time where that seemed to be happening you know for about two weeks it seemed to be happening a lot and then the nfl figured it out and then that didn't really become a problem the rest of the way i think you're going to see something similar with the nhl now where this is their rough patch they're figuring it out you know they're they're changing they're going to change things to hopefully make it better and hopefully this isn't a season-long thing where instead of having like multiple teams be affected in one week you know maybe we go multiple weeks and then one team gets affected every few weeks so i think it will get better i think we just need a little patience and i think they were they, obviously they're working on it. They want to finish this shortened season and get back on track in the fall. So, you know, twenty six games may seem like a lot, but not at the moment. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, most leagues you can you compare it to. It's like the English league. Uh, the soccer teams also went through this as well, where teams the games got rescheduled and uh, and players were on COVID lists and stuff like that, and things have kind of settled down. You know, it it being almost halfway through the season. So I, I think that's a great point. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think that uh, the fact that we're also in a better position with like vaccines coming out and things have started to kind of stabilize in certain parts of the world, uh, certain parts of our country, maybe. Uh, but, you know, all in all, I'm happy that they're persisting. I, I do. I feel like I read somewhere that the NHL ratings are like as good as they've ever been right now. I mean, that's probably, you know, more people are stuck at home, um, especially right now in the winter. So, you know, more people are able to watch things. And I think, you know, the NBA also is in this pretty much in the same boat, shortened season going on at the same time as the NHL. Um, I don't think they've re- dealt with as many COVID related issues as the NHL has so far. So they're doing a pretty good job there. Um and the other thing, too, is the NHL, when they did the schedule for the shortened season, they accounted for the fact that there was probably going to need to be a decent amount of games that uh, either need to be shuffled around or rescheduled. So they did build some padding in towards the end and some other parts, you know, in the season. And, you know, there's a lot of times the team's playing a back-to-back and then they don't play for a few nights. So, you know, there's opportunities to plug games in here and there. And don't forget, other than the Canadian division, travel is going to be pretty easy, uh, you know, to squeeze these games in because they're very, very regional. The Central Division, the East Division, the West maybe a little bit, you know, they're more spread out. But especially in the East and the Central, it'll be easier to reschedule games within those divisions because those opponents aren't really more than maybe a two to three hour flight away from one another so that'll also help too um you know there was also a little bit of controversy with you know the capitals uh, players you know the four russians being you know 
I guess, like, penalized for hanging out outside in the hotel room, and I get it. Like, you know, it doesn't make, like, it's a, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, okay, these guys could be in a locker room on the ice, you know, breathing heavily, spitting, you know, even though they're not supposed to be spitting, but they can't hang out in a hotel room. But it's also sometimes just, you know, they want to – it's a slippery slope if you start letting rules go one way or the other or what's allowed and not allowed and stuff like that. So for a shortened season and for what they make, it's not the best situation. But, you know, sometimes you have to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, and I think that's what the NHL is trying to do, and I think they're doing an okay job. I, like I said, I don't think this is going to be a season-long issue, and I think they'll talk about, um, you know, playoffs being a bubble again. I don't think you'll see them go back to, okay, first, you know, typical playoffs, you know, best of seven, two, two, one, one, one. I think you're going to see two more bubble sites again, or at least, well, at least four bubble sites to start, and then they'll figure it out from there. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I would be. They're already used to it. The teams are already used to it. They've they've run through it one time. They know all the ins and outs and all that. And, and I think uh, to have that product, that playoff product, after a full season, you know, continuity-wise, because you know we had that interruption last season before the bubble. I think you know we'll be able to see a product that's team a team has gone through the season done well and then carries that into the playoffs as opposed to you know a team kind of getting interrupted with their momentum and, and just flames out in the first uh first round which is always sad to see and ruins a lot of like our uh our picks <laughs> and uh, you gotta remember the nhl's ultimate goal here because let's face it last season they were happy to just get some sort of semblance of completion of it this year was you know they had to work around the delays of last year the nhl's goal is to really just try to get back on schedule with this offseason right now they're pretty much if the timeline continues to go the way it's supposed to go they've pretty much accomplished that i think everything's maybe pushed back about a month and the short offseason might be a little bit shorter but the goal is to get the season to start in october the way it traditionally does and right now i think they're on that timeline to do that and that's what they care about they care about the season but they're really hoping that things can go back to the normal sports calendar starting with the 2021-2022 season. Now, we are, um, you know, there's still hockey going on on the ice. We're about a month in, and we talked about that Canadian division to open up the show a little bit. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Montreal Canadiens, when you talk about surprises in the first month of the season, they all be done to have to be at the top of that list. They are currently at the top of the league-wide standings or near the top, as well as the goal scored rankings. Their goals allowed in penalty killer towards the middle of the pack, though. Off-season uh, addition, Tyler Toffoli is off to quite the start with nine goals and four assists. Three of those points with the man advantage, three short-handed, so all over the place he's contributing. Josh Anderson is another strong uh, acquisition that they got from Columbus. He's got seven goals and two assists so far. Corey Perry got his 100th career point the other night. You know, obviously Corey Perry's not what he used to be, but as a depth player and a guy that can bring some edge and maybe still, you know, put the puck in a position to score, if not light the lamp himself, he could still do that a little bit, sprinkle that in a little bit. Uh, Jeff Petrie is producing from the back end. He's got, uh, you know, uh, over he's got a uh, over a dozen points, and Shea Weber's also doing his job. He got his thousandth game this past week. Congrats to him on that. You see Nick Suzuki coming into his own. Yasperi Kotkaniemi seems to be back to his, more of his rookie season than his sophomore season. John, what what do you see when you look at the Canadians right now? I look at a team that uh, was definitely, you know, people people underestimated them obviously and pegged them. I was one of those people also pegged them to finish around the area of like Chicago and Ottawa. Uh, as, as teams, I mean, the Arizona as well, as teams that were really not in contention to make it to the playoffs and not really have much sustained success because of their lack of, like, just seemingly production. 
but what we're seeing is, you know, they bring in Josh Anderson, move Max Domi, Gallagher's healthy. When he's healthy, this team like runs like a well-oiled machine. He's essentially the the leader of that team in the way that he's just a bulldog, you know, and goes after all the pucks and hustles and, and gets into the, the dirty areas, gets his goals, uh, gets his assists, draws penalties. Uh, it's really, you know, that's really what you're seeing out of them this year. I think that their matchups are pretty favorable as well. Like I think a team like Montreal matches up in, in gets the favorable matchup against a team like Vancouver and Edmonton because of that offensive grinding and, 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 um, and, and high effort level. I think teams like Vancouver and Edmonton have trouble with that defensively because they're not as, as strong, you know, counter to that Montreal probably has less of an issue with that because of Carey Price and Shea Weber and you know to your point um, Jeff Petrie stepping up you know Jeff Petrie was always kind of a joke to me a little bit um, when he was on Edmonton I was kind of always amused that he was on the power play you know I never really thought that he would have this much success ever but five goals eight assists 13 plus minus it's like the dude is having a career year um and i think we saw some of this at, at the end of last year in the playoffs you know they really kind of seemingly formed an identity and uh and it's really exciting like i'm picking them against adam in our pick em, uh, our puck em, pick em thing and and like with 100 percent confidence that they're going to come out you know firing like that they don't they don't come out flat they don't take periods off they're they're just if I was a Habs fan, I would be very pleased with this squad. And once fans get back into stadiums, arenas, it's it's going to be even more heightened because these guys will get juiced up from the crowd. And, and that's that's going to be scary to see. So when I look at the Canadians, here's what I see. You know, there's not like a true star on this team in terms of like a scorer, like a, an Artemi Panarin kind of guy. There's, they, they, that doesn't that they don't have that. They have a very, very balanced team. Their top six is consistent. You know, we'll even say their top nine because that third line is acting more like a scoring line than maybe a shutdown line, but they're doing their job too in the defensive end. It's a nice balanced third line there with Kokaniemi uh, between Toffoli and Perry. Uh, And then even that fourth line, you know, Arturi Lekkinen's a hell of a four-checker, hell of a penalty killer. Same thing with Paul Byron. Um, So they have that shutdown line. So they can, you know, play... They, they, they play a balanced attack. They're cape, like you pointed out. They're a good matchup for a lot of those teams up north of the border. Um, I, too, thought that they, I didn't have them down with the Detroits and the L.A.s of the world. I just figured they would probably finish ahead of Ottawa and maybe not ahead of anybody else. But, you know, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, you know, they've kind of been a little bumpy out of the gate. So that's also afforded Montreal an opportunity to uh, be towards the top of the standings in the league. And you know, you got to th- think about how it's going to be for them when those teams start to get going you figure at least one maybe two of those squads are going to start playing better hockey at some point and they're going to play these teams a lot so they're directly competing against one another that's one thing about the playoff format this year with everybody only playing within the division you're going to truly see the cream of the crop rise um to the top four spots in each of these divisions because they're only playing each other so it's going to be a good uh you know yardstick for them um and also you got to look at the crease carry price we all know what he brings to the table um but uh 4 and 2 9 3 save percent um, 
you know, good goals against. But, you know, when you're bringing a backup like Jake Allen, that makes a difference to me. Um, excuse me, 4-1-2 and two after uh, last night's loss. But um, to Ottawa, which was a little surprising. Um, but Jake, you know, for a while, Carey Price's backup has been whatever guy they could afford to squeeze it under the cap. And it's not always a great option. And Carey Price was forced to shoulder a heck of a load. Jake Allen, you know, was a starter in St. Louis for a little bit. Kind of, you know, moved into that shared role with Elliott for a while. And then the backup role, you know, once Bennington emerged. Um, so he, he's a very good backup. And that's very important. When you have a guy like Carey Price locked up as long as you do, you want to invest in making sure that you get the maximum life out of a contract like that. So you bring in a guy that can, is capable of playing and taking some of the load off of Price. And that's got to help, too. Yeah, absolutely. And then it just goes to form more of a, a team. I mean, you have Allen's more of a veteran. You're getting more veterans in there to match up with these young kids. The Thomas Tatar acquisition a couple seasons ago, also very underrated acquisition. He's done very well with, with um, Montreal with goals and stuff coming over from Detroit. I think he might have actually. Well, he was with Vegas. And then, yeah, he, yeah. Had, yeah. he was on Vegas. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a nice pickup. You know, I, I think... Um, Management in Montreal catches catches a lot of a guff. There's a lot of pressure there, but like, as this team starts to mature and develop, like, it's gonna be pretty scary to see Nick Suzuki. You know, in he's the emerging. He's he is, he is a, a water bug and and strong and skilled, highly skilled. It's, it's nice to have that kind of player on your team. Sure. And they're banking on a guy like Suzuki. I've mentioned how they don't truly have like a true star player. They're kind of uh, hoping Suzuki can become that guy for them. Um, you also look, you mentioned, you know, the front office. You know, Mark Bergevin has been on the hot seat. Many people have fired him. I think he's been fired on PTR a couple of times over the past yeah. few seasons. But I guess patience sometimes gets rewarded because he's finally gotten a good enough mix. And maybe that's also credit to Claude Julian, longtime NHL coach. You know, he's had a lot of success. You know, they've got the mix right now. Now they just need it to keep going. The question is, do you think they can keep this up all year? Yeah, that's usually like what I what I say when um, you see a lot of these teams that you didn't expect to do well. Um filled with a lot of kids kind of do well early in the season. Cause a lot of the vets haven't turned it on yet. You know, and we touched on this in previous episodes, essentially where like, you don't really have that opportunity right now to, to waste. If you're a vet, you have to turn it on right now because of the shortened season. So for me, I think because of their favorable matchups, they've already took four games from Vancouver, four out of five. They've uh, they took two games from Edmonton already in dominant fashion. And I think that if they could figure out Ottawa, that was their first loss, first game against Ottawa. They got to figure out Calgary. I think they could do well against Winnipeg. Toronto would be an interesting matchup, um, obviously. And there's a lot of firepower in Toronto. So you can really have to bank on Carey Price, Shea Weber, and those boys to like try to not take penalties. Um, I think that they can keep it up. I think that you won't see a, a crazy regression. I think, I don't know that they'll keep it up at the same clip, which, I mean, they were undefeated up until a couple of games ago, I believe. Um, but I, I, I like them. I mean, I, I don't know what you do with Jonathan Drouin. Uh, kind of underperforming, high contract, and in cities where there's a lot of fans and a lot of media, usually those guys get a lot of pressure and don't really do too well. So I feel like if you're Montreal, maybe you're not thinking about winning this year. Maybe you're trying to move Drouin. I don't know if anyone... He's got eight assists. I mean, he's only got one goal. You'd like to see a guy like Drouin score more, but he's got eight assists, so he's not a total, he's not a total anchor at this point. Right. But... 
I, you've, you've never really been a big Drouin fan. And he's, you know, I, there was a time when Jonathan Drouin was like, oh my God, he's going to be like one of the next like big guys. And he's never lived up to that pedigree. I think that ship has sailed, but I think he could still be a somewhat effective player as a second liner. And I think he's getting every opportunity to do that in Montreal because, you know, even though they're a balanced squad, there's not much depth there. I think that could hurt them down the line. I think, you know, hey, Toronto finally figured out a way to avoid Boston in the playoffs. So I think, and in their division this year, and they don't have to deal with Tampa Bay. I think Toronto is the best team in the Canadian division. I think Winnipeg is the second best team in the division when you everything is said and done. But Montreal is going to be in that three or that four spot. Um, the question is, who's going to be that other three or four team? Is that Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver? Well, Edmonton's got the talent. Calgary, I think, has got the mix. I think they finally got the goaltender. And uh, Jacob Markstrom, Vancouver, was probably the best of those three last year. You know, we'll see what happens with them this year. But I do think Montreal is a playoff team. They're going to finish third or fourth. And I, 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 we would all love to see a Montreal-Toronto playoff series. That would be something cool to come out of this year is to get those two meeting in the first or the second round of the Canadian bracket um, heading into the quote-unquote NHL Final Four. Um, so there you go with the Canadians. We'll get to the Hurricanes later on. They're a, a team that also has been pretty strong out of the gate. But John and I are both Ranger fans. The story is a few days old. We do need to at least get into it, though. Tony D'Angelo. It had to be discussed. He was waived by the Rangers after a postgame altercation with goaltender Alexander Georgiev and an overtime loss to the Penguins. According to multiple reports, a scuffle started when D'Angelo was drawing at the netminder on the way to the locker room about a mistake on a play that ended up winning the game for Pittsburgh. Uh, Georgiev threw the first punch and a fight ensued. Uh, it was broken up by rookie defenseman Keandre Miller, who apparently has also been the target of D'Angelo verbally. Um, you know, hey, hazing rookies is all a part of the game, but sometimes it's crossing a line with hazing and apparently that's been kind of a problem uh, there's the rumors of Chris Kreider punching D'Angelo are not true according to multiple sources though as awesome as that would be um, it sounds like there are teams that are finally beginning to call on him after he cleared waivers um, he's going to be on the taxi squad but he's been basically told to stay away from the team there's no chance the Rangers are dressing him again um He's 25 years old. He had 15 goals and 38 assists last season in 68 games. So there's an opportunity there. You know, there is talent there. But he had just one assist in six games and had been scratched twice. So what was your initial reaction when you heard about D'Angelo finally being cleared and the reasons why and all that stuff? I mean, you never like to see teams kind of have a personality that fights with another teammate or anything like that. I'm sure that there's dust-ups and stuff that happened during practices that you hear about and they're always kind of looked at like favorably, you know, like they're just battling it out in practice or they're frustrated about losing. So one of the players is kind of trying to set a tone to kick the other players in the butt in a productive way. But when you are blaming players, blaming teammates, blaming your goalie for anything, you can't blame your goalie for anything. If you've played any sport that has a goalie, that's the, that's the one player that you just got to take care of. If anything goes wrong, you just kind of like pat him on the back and be like, don't worry about it, bud. You know, we got to just figure out how to get. Even if it is their like, fault, you still have to. You can, you, 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 he, yeah, yeah. You, you can't because he, he's literally <laughs> he's literally like one of your more important players. Plus, he's also your teammate, you know. So when I heard that it all happened, 
I, you know, I had texted you being like, I heard Kreider punched him. They got a video of Kreider with his hands all swollen. There's a mark on it. He did come in heated to that press conference, too. Like, the story did make sense, even if it's been, you know, said it's not true. There's a lot, you know, when there's smoke, there's fires, you know? Yeah, look, if they denied it, they denied it. I like to believe that it happened just because it's Chris Kreider, just a, a, a ranger, you know? Through and through. Dude speaks Russian. He's a man of the world. Is is probably not, you know, you know what Tony D'Angelo kind of represented as far as a teammate, right? Kreider's going to stand up for his team. D'Angelo just showed that he doesn't really value that kind of uh, thing. So for me, the contract when he was signed seemed like a bit much for a player who had a career year with a power play that had Zibanejad and Panarin and Kreider on it, you know, and he's getting those second and second and primary assists to, to pad his stats. And I've never really felt like he was that good of a defense defense in the defensive zone so like for me i'm okay that he's waived uh it sucks because it's it, it a roster spot and the the money and it's just a decision that the rangers made a mistake on seemingly you know all the politics aside and all that other stuff about you know him with his podcast and, and parlor and all that like all that aside i never really held him in the highest esteem for as a player like a talent wise. So this is not really something that I'm really sweating. And if it galvanizes the team, which I think it should, because it proves that everybody's got everybody's back, you know, and that's how teams are, are formed, forged and, and really succeed. Uh, when it's us against them. You know, I, I think that this was a good thing. And, and then to your point, I mean, you picked the Rangers that night that the, the Angelo was gone and they ended up winning. Right. I mean, so sometimes addition by subtraction can have a pretty profound effect. And I think that's what that is here. You, you mentioned the, pol- the, the politics aside, however you feel about Tony D'Angelo, who he supports politically and all that stuff, all that aside. In sports, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have at least a good locker room, if you don't have some bond in there, eventually that's going to catch up with you on the rink, on the court, on the field, wherever. Maybe we don't know if what D'Angelo was saying and doing in his own time was also being said in the locker room, whether he was leaving it out the door. But not everybody has to be a true leader, like a, like a guy like a Kreider or a guy like a Jake Trouba or something like that. But you just have to not be a dick. And it seems to me like he was a jerk in the locker room. You know, you're talking about a guy who was a 19th overall in the 2014 draft by Tampa. He was then traded to Arizona for their second round pick in the 2016 draft. Turned out to be uh, Libor Hayek, coincidentally, and then. He he was traded to the Rangers a year later with the Coyotes first round pick for Auntie Ranta and Derek Stepan. First rounders get moved, but when a guy gets moved that much that early in his career, that also tries to tell you something too. You don't have to go out of your way to be endearing to your teammates, but you should at least try to at least get along for practice and get along for the games. You know what I mean? You don't have you don't have to love everybody you work with. You don't even have to like everybody you work with, but you just have to be able to get along. And like you said, sometimes fights happen in practice where guys are pushing each other, guys are a little on edge, who's under who feels like they might be on the risk of getting sent down, so maybe they're, you know, trying to do more to make sure they stick around. Like those things happen, but those things usually end with a handshake and a beer. It doesn't sound like any of Tony D'Angelo's conflicts with teammates were going to end with a handshake and a beer. You know what I mean? They always say hockey you know, in hockey, guys that are fighting on the rink are going out an hour after the game and having beers with one another. I don't think that was happening with D'Angelo. And again, you don't have to love everybody you play with. You don't have to hang out with everybody you play with outside of the rink. But when you're there, you have to try and at least make an effort to get along. And it doesn't seem like that was the case. And if it was not just one person, I feel like there would be some more balance. But it seems to me like most of the Rangers locker room are okay with him going. So that should tell you something, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the fan base, I don't know. That fan base is mixed from what I read. A lot of people... Because pe- some people are taking their personal politics and associate and saying he's being blackballed for his politics. Rangers President John Davidson did say they spoke to D'Angelo about his presence on social media um, when they told him he was being waived, but that did not factor into the decision, although I find that a little hard to believe. Yeah. Um, sure. But he's got to say that, of course. But again, here, and here's the thing. If you want to say he's being blackballed for his right of free speech and who he supports, well... It's also the free speech of the team to say we don't want what he's doing representing us. And the way it works in the world, and you people need, maybe need to hear this, if you're really good at what you do, people are willing to put up with more BS from somebody. If they're not a good person or they're annoying or they're obnoxious, whatever the case may be. If you're good at what you do, you have a longer leash. Tony D'Angelo was not good at what he was doing. So therefore, the leash is much shorter. And sometimes if the off the ice stuff is not worth the on the ice stuff, you go. That's how it works in pro sports. Some people are like, oh, I feel bad for him, blah, blah, blah. This guy just signed a contract, a two-year, what, $9 million contract? He's got a $4.8 million hit next year. I don't feel bad for him. Tony D'Angelo is going to be just fine. So stop. He's going to get another chance somewhere. I think it was Elliot Friedman that said it. Now that he's cleared waivers, he's going to get traded. There is talent there. Somebody's going to give him another chance. The thing is, this is probably going to be his last chance. He's got one year left at $4.8 million. Sometimes you just got to learn to keep your mouth shut. If it's not a popular opinion, then okay, fine. Well, it's his right. Well, you know what? You go to your employer and say what you want to say at your job and see how long that lasts. If your yeah. views are considered controversial. Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to, look, if you're good at your job, you'll find another job. That's essentially what it comes down. Regardless of how you ended it, if you have a history of being good at your job, however it ended, you will find another job. And, and, and I do think that you're right. I think he will find uh, a space in, in, in the NHL. You know, is definitely a chance that he goes to the K or somewhere else, some other league. But he's going to want to stay in the NHL, and he's going to want to go to a team. You know, he has no choice, obviously. But if he falls on a team that's like a potential playoff team, he's going to be more motivated to play at his utmost best to kind of just show that, you know, he does belong here. Keep his mouth shut, keep his head down. And and this is a chance for him to kind of really set it straight and, and, and get his career on a, the, a proper trajectory. And he – listen – He's like we said. Teams are calling for him. He's going to get traded. It's just a matter of if, not a matter. It's a matter of when, not a matter of if. He's going to go somewhere else. You know, I one possibility I saw that I like is Calgary sending Sam Bennett for Tony D'Angelo. That would help both sides, I think, to a degree. Um, Sam Bennett in New York. He's. T- Tony D'Angelo is 25 years old. We're not talking about a 33-year-old defenseman that most teams are going to be like, ah, he's not worth the headache if he's going to run his oh. mouth. He, you know, he's 25. This guy's got a still potentially his best hockey is still ahead of him. Nobody's denying the talent. It's just he needs an attitude adjustment. He needs to learn to be a better teammate. You can feel how you feel, but just you know, maybe I don't talk politics at work. You know why? Because it's not a good look. Nobody should talk politics at work. Maybe he was. Maybe that's why he was rubbing the locker room the wrong way. I think if he had kept stuff that he had felt outside the locker room to just outside the locker room, you know, maybe guys wouldn't have been a big fan of it but he's not bringing it to work with him once you start bringing it to work with you and it becomes a distraction that's a problem yeah it's a, it's a problem it's a problem seemingly concluded for the on the rangers side and uh and now they can start to really focus on on not being a dumpster fire that they were headed towards when they because they started the season off just so poorly they were what were they they were like 
three, four. They were they're now four, four, and two. They've won the two games since you know D'Angelo's been removed from the locker room. So say what you will about that. You know, it could be coincidental. Sometimes, like we said, a bet a good locker room sometimes goes a long way further away than sometimes talent. Not much further, but a little. Um, I, it's we'll see. And you're right that they were heading towards a dumpster fire. I mean, I didn't think. The way the divisions are, I mean, you look at that Eastern Division right now. I mean, Washington, they were missing four of their starters, and they kept chugging along no problem. Boston's clearly a good team. Philly's clearly a good team. So you really have the rest of that division is battling for one playoff spot, I think. And I know there's still a lot of time left, but I really don't see either Washington, Boston, or Philly having any problems down the stretch. Um, I thought the Rangers would be in the mix for that fourth spot. I thought the Islanders were the favorites for that last spot. With Pittsburgh and the Rangers and the Islanders, those are the three teams, and maybe Buffalo if things went right for them. Um, now there's plenty of time to get back in it. We'll see how things go. You know, we'll see what moves are made. But nonetheless, uh, we'll see the Rangers seemingly playing better hockey here. Um, now let's move on to our parting thought on PTR. Talk a little Hurricanes. Uh, starting goaltender Pete Mrazek underwent thumb surgery this week, and a timetable for his return is still TBD. James Reimer is 4-1-0 this far. He was brought in to form a goaltending pair, and Alex Nedeljkovic steps up as the backup. Mrazek was off to a good start in a limited sample size. He was 2-1-0, stopping 63 of 66 shots in four appearances and led the league in goals against and save percentage. Um, Hurricanes are clearly one of the better teams in the league and uh, sitting in a second place in the modified Central Division. Uh, can the Canes keep up a high level of play without the check the check netminders my question yeah i, I mean I, I do think that rhymer is capable also the defense is pretty good like in general uh some of the results don't indicate like a good defensive team like where you're giving up four goals to detroit uh or six goals to chicago but i do think that they have the ability to really turn it on and offensively they're very balanced and deep and I think the fact that you're playing Chicago and Detroit seven times or eight times, however many it is, I think you look at their wins from those teams, even though they split the first two series is more importantly, though, I don't know if you watch them against Dallas. They took two from Dallas, which, um, you know, Dallas started the season on the covid uh, situation. So they missed like a large part of of the beginning. But once they came back on, they were just dominating teams. So and then when they went in to play Carolina, they lost two in a row. Um, and then right before that, Carolina beat Tampa Bay and the Cup champions. I mean, so I think that seeing the way that they play against the really good teams makes me very excited for, for them for this season. And if they can just iron out a bit and just kind of win out against some of the teams that they absolutely should beat, like Chicago and Detroit, then, the, you know, finishing first or second is, is definitely within their grasp despite the loss of Morazic. No, correction. They've Because after last night's results, they are now sitting, quote-unquote, in fourth place, but it's first place is 13 points, second place is 13 points, and then there's a three-way tie at 12 points between Florida, Carolina, and Chicago. They also have a few games in hand. Um, but I, to your point, they kind of play up and down to their opponents. They play really well against the teams that, you, you know, come playoff time you want to play well against. You know, last night's loss to Chicago, maybe a little bit of, you know, regression to the mean a little bit. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean... They're, they're a team that's well-structured. They kind of remind me a little bit of Montreal in the sense that there's no true superstar like we talked about before, 
but they are a very well-balanced squad. Um, you know, Aho is kind of as close as it comes, or Svechnikov to being a true superstar. I think they're on the they're on the brink. I don't think they've achieved that just yet. They're right there, though. You know, Vinny Trocek has been a nice little addition for them as well on their second line. Nino Niederreiter has been a consistent contributor. Tevo Taravainen, if he gets going, I mean, they have a strong blue line, uh, you know, with Dougie Hamilton leading the way. Um, they're, they're a good team, I, and I think they're going to be a team you don't want to see in the playoffs because they can match up with you and they can play whichever way they want you to play. And I think maybe they're hurt a little bit without Morazic because I think Morazic, after you know bouncing around Detroit and Philly, he finally found you know Philly. He kind of found his game a little bit, and I think Carolina. He's finally established himself as this guy that should be at least a one A in a goalie timeshare. So I think they'll be okay without him. I don't think they'll be at their best, but I think they're going to be okay, and when they get him back, that'll be a nice little boost, too, but I do, they, they, I think they're a playoff team in that division. That division is kind of interesting, because it's kind of all the leftover teams, because you knew the kind of, the Canadian teams had to be together. You knew the pretty much the way the East went, that's how it was going to fall. In the West, you had an idea of at least how six of those teams were going to be. So they're kind of like a hodgepodge of the rest, and you're getting a good sampling. It, it's an interesting mix. You know, Detroit is the only team that you really say, like, okay, they're probably not going to do anything. Nashville has not been that impressive either but everybody in chicago for what they've got on the roster they're they're hanging around they're, play, they're hanging tough and to bring it just came back so that team is is now as it should be roster wise uh columbus is also now with the uh with the trade we didn't really talk about it too much but pierre-luc dubois getting sent out um to vancouver with columbus getting along Winnipeg. and uh, and uh Roslevic. I like I like those two players coming to Columbus, so don't sleep on them either. And that that division is 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 pretty stacked. We talked about the East or Northeast, whatever it is, but that division is is pretty jacked up. I think Roslovic's a nice fit into the Columbus identity, and obviously a guy like Line that you know a team like Columbus needs a guy like Line that can put the puck in the net because they don't really have one of those true, you know scorers will say like they have guys that are capable of putting the puck in that but lion a is just you know the guy's a sniper um you know columbus you know uh, excuse me winnipeg um pierre luc dubois yet to see much from him there yet nonetheless um once he gets going i think that's going to make winnipeg an even think about how well winnipeg's playing right now and now you're going to inject him as their third center or second center depending upon how you want to put stasny i think stasny might stay on that second line and now you got pl dubois your third line center not too shabby you can also play him on the wing too if you want but things are clicking right now for guys in winnipeg i and i'll be other than the fact that those hideous uh what do they call them the uh Reverse retro dressers, yeah, the Columbus one. The first time I looked at him, like, that's not bad. And then when I saw it on the ice, I was like, ugh, that, that, that could have been better. Um, you know, I, some the Rangers Liberty one seems to be pretty popular. I like the Montreal Canadiens. That shade of blue is beautiful. Um, you know, maybe we'll review all the reverse retros one day here on PTR. What are our thoughts on after we see? Because seeing them on the ice is different than seeing them hanging in a store or seeing them on your computer screen or on your phone. Um, the Penguins reverse retro was pretty nice. You, we saw those against the Rangers the other night. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been even with all the hiccups with uh, COVID, I think we still have had a somewhat normal season, you know, as normal as things could be. I mean, a lot has been affected, but. Teams are playing hockey on a regular basis. I think that's all we can ask for. Now, the schedule has been altered due to the divisions and with COVID protocols and more teams playing in back-to-backs and playing in the same city two games in a row. John, you had some stats on, you know, how that worked. Um, what, what, How are home teams and road teams faring when they got to go play two games in a building? 
back to back. Yeah. So, so I've been basically charting the results as uh, the schedule sets up. Most teams are going to play the same team two times in a row at one arena. So the Rangers will go visit the Islanders and they'll stay out there and play two games at wherever uh, over three days, right? That's considered a two-game series. So that is the most common game scenario in the season so far. And my tabs uh, come out to see something very interesting for home teams, for anyone who's betting or anyone who's picking or anyone who just likes statistics. Uh, the home teams are 80 and 52 overall. So that's that's substantial. That's just a nice, solid advantage. But um, I think commonly home teams are favored, obviously, in normal years. You have the fans, you have less travel, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but home teams in game two, regardless of what happens in game one, whether the visiting team wins or the home team wins, game two, the home team is 45 and 21. So that's two plus, two X plus. Uh, so if you're if you're looking to pick that second game, if you see that it's the second game of the, the series, you know, for me, I've been trying to pick more home teams if it makes sense. And then it also provides for a little bit of a um, an underdog selection as well. Like the other night, Columbus won uh, when it was just kind of like, you know, they, they were, I forget who they were facing, but they were definitely home underdogs. Against uh, Dallas, maybe? It was, I think it was maybe Dallas in game two, and Dallas had won the first game, I believe. And so Columbus ends up winning, you know, and, and again, there's it relies right on the statistic basically showing that home teams have such an advantage in that second game, whether it's because of that extra travel, that, that the extra day that, that that visiting team has to stay in Columbus or in, you know, Philly or wherever they're traveling to. It just really maybe wears on on players in a way that I haven't seen it in previous seasons. You know, there's always these talks about the West Coast swings where teams are just dehydrated when they go from east to west on that long plane ride. But this is something very interesting. I'd be curious to see what the what the cause is because they're not traveling anywhere back home. In, you know, they're doing that second game and then going home. Here's my theory on why that's maybe happening in the second game. Now, in a normal season, when teams go on road trips, they'll play, you know, Usually, sometimes it's in and out one game, one game road trip or more often it's two three maybe four games maybe longer and the routine is basically get to the city the night before the game then you have your morning skate or your morning meeting you know and then your usual game day routine your nap your meal whatever and then you play and then after the game you do your you know media obligations in the locker room and then you're on the bus and then you're on your way off to the airport for the next one and you're kind of moving and even if you have a layover a lot of times you'll have a day maybe two days in a city you're allowed to go out and do shit. You're allowed to not be, you, you don't become stagnant. You're not kind of confined to either your hotel room or the rink or traveling and that's it. So I think what happens is when you're in a city for a couple of days and you can't really do anything, you start to get a little sluggish because it's like, okay, can't really hang out with my buds, my teammates, can't really go out, you know, and even get a, you know, a meal, you know, so you kind of just get sluggish once you're hanging out in a city for a few days and you're not able to do, I mean, think about it. Think about how you you would feel and we're not pro athletes um think about how you would feel if you were just kind of stuck in a hotel room and then your only time out was to go to work and then you come back to the like it's eventually that's going to have a take on you at least when you're on a road trip and you're bouncing around like all right we went to, we're in st louis now but then we're off to dallas and then nashville and then we're going home kind of thing like you keep busy you're not keeping busy when you're on the road right now no you're not you have no routine and, you know, the protocols prohibit you from even hanging out with your teammates in the hotel that you stay in and going to their rooms. You're, you're staying in basically your room, playing video games or whatever. Like, 
maybe you're going to work out and stuff. You stay a little extra at the rink and whatnot. But I think your point makes sense. I think it's a different kind of travel fatigue, you know, in, in because of all the lockdowns. Now, that'll do it for the hockey portion of this edition of Puckin' Thoughts Radio. However, it is the Super Bowl this weekend. I'm a big football guy. JC, we got Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, the first football team to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium against the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, this is, you know, the storylines write themselves. You got Patrick Mahomes versus Brady, you know, the Bucks defense versus the Chiefs offense. You know, Tampa offense obviously can put points on the board with Brady and that group of receivers. Who do you got? Well, I, I, I would like to maintain that the only quarterback who can beat Tom Brady is Eli Manning. Um, and if I do believe Spoken that... Spoken like a true Giants fan. Right, by a true Giants fan. I, I would like to say that even though the odds favor, obviously, Patrick Mahomes and, and that Chiefs offense, I think that there's something about Tom Brady this year and something about the the, pack, uh, the, the Bucks that uh, is, is just going gonna, gonna to work for them. I don't, I don't like picking Tom Brady, but I, I do think that he's going to win somehow, in some way. Here's the thing. You know, I'm a Jet fan, and Tom Brady tortured me in the AFC East as the Patriots quarterback for close to two decades. Um, I, I think the Chiefs are loaded. I you know I know the Chiefs went in Week 12, you know, went into Tampa, jumped out to a huge lead. Tyreek Hill had a huge first quarter. And, you know, Tampa, Tampa battled back. If that game is five minutes longer, the Buccaneers probably win. Um, I like Tampa's defense, and I think that's the difference here is the Tampa defense, well, they're not going to stop Patrick Mahomes in that offense, but I think they slow them down enough. And I don't know if the Chiefs defense can really slow down Brady enough. We all know nobody likes – we all know Brady doesn't like it when he's got pass rushers in his face and he's being pressured and all that. So if they can do that, it might change things. But Tom Brady is playing loose and free. You know, I think I, I got I, as much as I don't want to see Tom Brady win another ring in his tenth Super Bowl. Um, I got I got the Bucks winning on Sunday. If a close game. I think it'll be a fun, exciting game. But I got Tampa Bay winning. Um, prop but, bet, prop bet, proposition mm-hmm. bet. Frank Clark, Kansas City Chiefs lineman, defensive yeah. lineman, over under on all sides. Point five. Go. Oh, over. I'll take the one. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, just just betting on the odds. I'll go one. I'll, I'll say maybe he goes yeah. one. Maybe Brady gets yeah. him. But he's a hell of a defense. He's a hell of a defensive he's line. He's amazing on the on the pass rush and stuff. But he just takes these dumb penalties sometimes. But something to look out for if that happens. It's, it's pretty fun. All right. Well, that does it for PTR 112. Enjoy the Super Bowl this Sunday. Enjoy the hockey. And we'll be back with you hopefully before the end of February. Otherwise, early March here on PTR. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, you'll find us on Twitter at Pucking Thoughts, Facebook Pucking Thoughts. And John has got us all over Reddit, SoundCloud, and iTunes Pucking Thoughts Radio. JC, enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a wonderful weekend. Ta-ta.